Amen. Hey, well, it is so good to see each and every one of you here this morning, and just as Brent said, welcome. Uh, for those of you who I haven't had the privilege or honor of meeting, my name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And last week, my parents were here for Thanksgiving, and so uh, they're the associate pastors at a Spanish-speaking congregation at the church we had just left, and so my mom and dad were right down here, and I, Pastor Dan said, hey, have them stand up and greet the people, and so I did, and my dad stood up. And he didn't turn around. And I was like, Dad, why didn't you turn around? Everyone just saw the back of your bald head. Um, and he's like, I didn't know I was supposed to turn around. So this morning, I brought a picture um, of, my, of my parents and us. Uh, that's my mom and dad at the very top. And then my brother and I and his family. He, my brother's actually a pastor in Mesquite on the other side of Dallas. And they have seven kids. Um, uh, so they have four of their biological kids and then three that they've adopted out of foster care. And then there's Linnell and I and our children. And this is from this past summer. We got to go up to Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri and spend a week up there together and uh, have fun and go swimming on the lake and do some really cool stuff. And so that's my family. And I was thinking today as we're at Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas and the holidays as we're celebrating probably more during this time of year than any other the time of the year, we spend time with family. During Thanksgiving, during Christmas, I mean, over Thanksgiving break, Linnell and I and our kids, we went up to Tulsa, Oklahoma, that's where she's from. We spent time with their family, then we drove back down here and went to Mesquite and spent Thanksgiving there with my parents and my brother and his family. And so I said, what, what a better topic than to talk about family. Because um, now during, again, most of this season, we're going to be spending time with one another. And I wanted us to talk about what God says about family and what he talks about when it comes to family in the Bible. And so when I was thinking about family, I'm like, okay, what is it that we have in common with each other when it comes to family? Because some of us come from separated homes or our parents were divorced when we were younger or some of us come from blended families or some of us come from single parent homes. And so I was thinking, man, what is it that we all have in common when it comes to family? And the thing that I kind of narrowed it down to is this, that we didn't have a choice in the matter, did we? I mean, you've heard that it was said you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. But isn't it true when you were in middle school and when you were in junior high, you would have picked your friend's family? Because they had the cool parents, their mom was cool, their dad was funny, they got to sleep in their clothes, they had pizza for breakfast, they got to eat ice cream whenever they wanted to, they didn't have a curfew, and you would have picked your friend's family if you could have, right? <laughs> I got an amen on that one. Because when it comes to family, family is not an emotional neutral term. When I say the word dad, there's emotions that come into our hearts. When I say mom or brother or sister or auntie or uncle or daughter or grandma or grandpa, when it comes to family, there's not an emotional neutral part of us. It stirs up all of these images and all of these stories that we all have of broken promises, of hurt, of pain, some of laughter, some of joy, some of you sitting around your kitchen table and laughing so hard with your family that soda comes out your nose. I mean, we, we all have these stories that we could tell. 
And the other thing when it comes to family is this, that you're aiming for something. Regardless if you're trying to or not, regardless if you're intentional about it or not, you're actually aiming for something when it comes to family. And so I asked a friend of mine by the name of Eric, he's going to help me to kind of illustrate and demonstrate this this morning, because Eric's is a master marksman. And uh, he, he has a bow and arrow. Uh, he's a new friend of mine. And, and I've asked him, I said, hey, Eric, can you help me to illustrate this? And so he's a professional and I'm an amateur. So I'm going to let him go first. <laughs> and he's going to show us what it means to kind of hit the target. So we have a target set up over there, that yellow uh, looking bag thing. And he's going to shoot from right here. And he's going to hit the target. Can you guys give it up for Eric before he, he does this real quick? All right, so Eric, go ahead. All right, there's one. And there's two. Wow, that is great. Now, Eric, hold on one second. Now, I've brought my bow and arrow over here. And I didn't want to give Eric an unfair advantage. So I'm going to move up here. I need silence, okay, because I need silence. All right, you guys ready? All right. We'll just put it right in here. There we go. Okay. Eric, can you guys give Eric another hand real quick? We're going to leave these right there. Mine's the one that's... Thank you very much. So we're aiming for something when it comes to family. And there's this whole concept, there's this whole idea of the real versus the ideal. The reality is I couldn't hit the target, right? No matter how, <laughs> exactly, no matter how, how much I tried, no matter how much I practiced, I, I couldn't hit that target. And when it comes to the Bible, there's really no good examples of family. I mean, there's a couple of highlights when you look at Joseph's life or a couple of other people's lives, but there's really no good examples of family in the Bible. I mean, think about it. Jesus is family. Joseph and Mary, they're going to Jerusalem for the Passover. They go there, they worship the Lord, and then they're headed back to Nazareth. And they travel for one day, parents. One day they travel. And Mary looks at Joseph and says, have you seen Jesus? And Joseph says, it's not Tuesday, Mary. I don't watch Jesus any other time of the week except on Tuesday. Guys, they lost the son of God. <laughs> this is the one that angels declared his birth. Remember that? Prophets prophesied about Jesus' birth, and they lost him in Jerusalem. He's 12 years old. They take another day, and they have to find him. I mean, Adam and Eve, the first couple in the Bible, they're in paradise. How long does that last? We don't know. But it's before long that they're pointing at fingers. Well, it's her fault, God. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. The first homicide recorded in human history is between two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel because he's jealous of him. The first civil war that breaks out in the nation of Israel is between a father and a son, David and Absalom. And when you read the story, you're like, guys, if you could just sit down and talk about this, if you could go to counseling, at least one counseling session, all of this could have been avoided. 
But literally hundreds, if not thousands of people die because a father and a son can't get along. So when it comes to family, there, there's this whole reality of, man, God, we're not, we're not hitting the mark. We're not hitting the mark when it comes to our family. And, and I'll be the first to admit that I'm not always hitting the mark. And then what I love about Jesus is this. He comes along in the New Testament and he raises the bar. He raises the bar even higher. If we didn't think it was high enough already, he raises it even higher. He says it this way. You heard that it was said, but I tell you this. You heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a person lustfully, you've already committed adultery with that person in your heart. You've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you have unforgiveness, if you have bitterness, if you have resentment in your heart, you're already killing relationships all around you. Hey, when you pray, don't do it where everybody can hear and watch you pray. He says, go into your, don't be self-righteous. Go into your closet and pray there. And the disciples are are saying, Jesus, you've already made adulterers, murderers, and self-righteous people out of all of us. What are you going to do to all of us sinners? And Jesus says, I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm going to do something for you. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm actually going to do something for you. And we live in a culture, all of us can turn on the TV, search the internet. We live in a culture that wants to normalize everything. They want to normalize everything. This is the culture that gives a trophy to all of the kids on every single team because we don't want anyone to feel bad. We don't want anyone to feel bad, so let's give everybody a trophy. This is the culture that normalizes. It's fine. It's fine to cheat on your husband. It's okay. Everybody cheats on their husband once in a while. It's fine to search things on the internet because you and your wife aren't getting along. It's fine. Everybody does that. It's fine if you don't have a good relationship with your teenage kids. We, it's the new normal. It's the new normal. Everybody's doing it. This is the new normal of our culture. And so we live in a culture and we live in a society that normalizes our dysfunction. But there's something inside of you, regardless if you believe in God, regardless if you believe in Jesus, regardless if you believe in the Bible, there's something inside of you and there's something inside of me that wants something better for our kids, don't we? We want something better for our grandkids. Regardless of what the culture tells us, regardless of what society tells us, there's something inside of you and something inside of me that doesn't want our children to have to walk through divorce. That doesn't want our kids to have to walk through broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship. There's something inside of us that wants our families to actually be family-centered, where kids actually want to come home for the holidays and not stay away. There's something inside of us, regardless of what the culture tells us, there's something inside of us that says, even though there's a reality, there's an ideal in my heart and in my mind for my family, for my kids, for my grandkids, for my future family. There's something that I wish and hope for better for my family. And Jesus comes along and he teaches this whole principle of love. He says the greatest commandment, all of the law, all of the prophets hang on this one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Some people call it the Shema. And and this whole concept of this idea of we're going to love God with everything. And then Paul, the apostle, comes along. A guy who wrote over half of the New Testament. And he's, he's planting churches all around the Mediterranean rim. 
And Paul is saying, hey, this is what it looks like to be a Christ follower. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. This is what it actually looks like inside of family. And so he writes to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, you can turn there this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. But Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, Paul is trying to describe to the church in Ephesus, hey, this is what it actually looks like to be family. This is what it's broken down to. When you love God with all of your heart, your mind, soul, and your strength, when you love your neighbor as yourself, this is what it's going to look like. And so in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 1, this is what it says. And this is, parents, our favorite verse, right? This is the verse, one of the few verses, that, the very first verse that my parents made me memorize. And it says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise. And my dad would always tell us what the promise was. And it was this, if you want to live a long life, then you better obey your mom and your dad. And all of the parents said, amen. amen. Okay, we got, we're all on the same page. And then in chapter 5, just a few verses before, this is what he says. In chapter, verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And all of the ladies want to say, but Paul, you don't know my husband. Give me a break, Paul. And Paul would say, I'm not finished. It's okay. Hold on. He says, husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Paul, why are you writing not to be harsh with our wives? Because men in this culture, in this society... They were harsh with their horses, they were harsh with their dogs, they were harsh with their servants, and they were harsh with their wives because their wives weren't valued very much higher than any of the other piece of property that they owned. And so Paul says, no, 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 no. We're not doing it that way anymore, men. We're actually going to love our wives. We're going to elevate the status of women in Ephesus. We're going to elevate the status of women in this culture and in this society. No longer are we going to treat them like a commodity. No longer are we going to look for the next one that we can trade in and we can upgrade and we can look better. No, husbands, we're not doing that anymore. You're actually called to love your wives. In another place, he says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so he says, amen. He goes on to say this in verse 21. He says, and fathers, do not embitter, or some of your translations may say exasperate your children or they'll become discouraged. And this is one of those ones that as a a dad, I have struggled with more than any other because I've corrected my kids before. I've had to discipline my kids before and you know what? I've said something to them and I was right. I was actually right. But the words that I said discouraged them. The words that I said, and I wish that I wish that I wish I could take back those words. I wish that I wish I wish I could take back those things that I said that I allowed to come out of my mouth and that crushed them, that broke their spirit, that that belittled them. And I'm like, I have to go back and tell them I'm sorry. Because all of you know that this is true. Mom, your words weigh about 50 pounds. Dads, your words weigh about 500 pounds. Did you know that? Because all of you can recount a time where your dad said something to you and it's still in here today. Or your dad didn't say something to you or your dad wasn't around so he never had the time to say anything to you and you still remember that today, why? Because Paul knew, this is 2,000 years ago, Paul knew dads, when you say something to your children, it carries weight. 
And so be very, very, very careful, dads, the way that you talk to your kids. Because they're going to remember that for the rest of their lives. And so we could break it down like this. We, we could easily summarize the whole thing to say this. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, don't exasperate your kids. We could pray and be done. And the cowboys aren't even on today. You guys would be out early, super early today. Now, is this list very idealistic? Absolutely. Very idealistic. I mean, Michael, love my wife perfectly? There's no way I can do that. Michael, submit to my husband? Have you met my husband? Michael, obey my parents? My parents haven't had a thought since 1986. <laughs> Don't exasperate my kids. Stephen, my kids exasperate me. <laughs> now, very, very idealistic, absolutely. But Paul is saying this, if you want to hit the target, this is what you're aiming for. This is what you're aiming for when it comes to family. This is the ideal. And so many times as family, we're gonna miss the mark. We're gonna miss the target. Some of you are saying, it's too late for me, Michael, and it's not. It's not too late. Well, I'm on my second marriage. It's not too late. Again, Jesus never condemns. He never condemns. He says, this is what we're aiming for, but I'm not going to condemn you. There's forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy, there's a second chance. What did we just celebrate with all of these baptisms? Amen, we can celebrate that. Because of what Christ has done, now we have a new life. We have a new chance. We have a new start. And so Paul says, do this. And, and, and so I thought just for fun, since we have a few minutes here today, I, I wanted us to pick, and, and I want you to think about it, out of these verses, which one of these do you think is the most politically incorrect, I can't believe that's in the Bible, no one likes that verse, especially women? <laughs> right. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands, right? I thought, hey, let's tackle the, the, the hardest one of the bunch. Uh, but here's, here's the thing with this verse. This is an application of an overarching principle that Paul gives to the whole church. Because this is verse 22 in chapter 5. Verse 21 says something to all of us. And listen to what it says. This is what Paul writes. Before he gives this list, this is what he says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he says, here's the, the overarching principle of this whole, whole thing that I'm getting ready to give you. Now, wives, this is what it looks like for you. Husbands, this is what it looks like for you. Fathers, parents, this is what it looks like for you. Children, this is what it looks like for you. Here's the overarching principle is that you're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I call it mutual submission. Mutual submission is this. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm not just here for me, whether you're the father, the son, the sister, the brother, the auntie, the uncle. I'm not here just for me. I'm here for you. No one else in this family is more important than anybody else in this family. I'm here for you. 
The principle of mutual submission says, I'm here for you. I'm not just here for my deal. I'm not just here for you to do everything that I want you to do. I want to actually serve, not because you're worthy of serving, right? Because he says, submit to one another. Out of reverence for who? Out for each other? No, because I'm not always worth submitting to, and neither are you. (laughs) He says, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. So mutual submission says, I'm here for you. Because there is a sense where Christ got up under the burden of our sin. He leveraged all of his power, all of his authority, all of his time, all of his resources. He he leveraged his sinlessness, and he got up under your burden of sin so that you wouldn't have to get up under your burden of sin. Mutual submission, just like Christ did, says, I'm here for you. And you guys remember this. We talked about it a few weeks ago. When Jesus realized he had all authority, all power, what does he do? He wraps a towel around his waist. And he gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. When he has all authority, when he has all power, he serves. And so Paul says, what would this look like in family if we mutually submitted to one another? What if we served one another? Husbands, what if you served your wife? Wives, what if you served your husband? Kids, what if you served your parents? Parents, what if you served your children? What would that look like in our culture, in our society? The question that mutual submission begs us to ask is what can I do to help? What can I do to help? What can I do to help you? Hun, I'm coming back from work. Is there anything I can do to help? What can I do to help you? Can, church, can we, you humor me just for one second? Can we say this together out loud on the count of three? We're going to say this. If you've fallen asleep, nudge your husband. Wake him up for a second, all right? So, all right, here we go. We're all going to say this together. You ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. What? Wow, that was great. I was going to have you do it a second time, but you don't even need to. What can I do to help you? Now, students, middle school students, high school students, If you did this, you could take over the family. (laughs) I promise. You you come in with your backpack tomorrow, you walk in, you put it down, you walk into the kitchen where mom is or or dad's there or they're around or, or no one's home yet, so you text them, hey mom, hey dad, is there anything I can do to help? Your parents might have to pick themselves up off the floor, right? And I don't ask you guys to say amen a lot, but parents, if you're in agreement with me, say amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Why? Because kids act, we expect our kids to act the same way that we acted when we were teenagers. Don't you know it's all about me? Haven't you realized? Haven't you figured that out yet? Students, if you want to get major brownie points, if you want to get major brownie points, do this when they have people over for dinner. Just walk downstairs and and say, hey, mom, dad, excuse me, I'm so sorry. Hey, is there anything I can do to help? And your parents are probably going to say, no, that's okay, We're, we're kind of busy right now. And you'll go up to your room and their friends will say, teach us, teach us your ways. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Teach us. We know nothing about parenting. Teach us how to parent. Right, kids? Parents, mom, dad, you're constantly looking 
and having to instruct, 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 correct, 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 clean, 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 clean. You know what this question does, mom and dad? It keeps the conversation from always going negative. It keeps the conversation. If you look in your kid's eyes, it doesn't matter how old they are. If you look in your children's eyes and say, hey, is there anything I can do to help you? Is there anything that I, can I leverage any of my time, my resources, my energy? Is there anything I can do to help you? Your kids, are, they're probably going to say no. But you know what you're doing? You're letting them know, hey, I'm here for you. Is there anything I can do to help? Now, wives, fiancés, women in relationships that are moving towards marriage, this is a powerful, powerful question. Because if you ask your husband, if you ask, ask your fiancé this, we're probably going to say, no, no, no. Why? Because men like to act like macho men, right? Macho, macho man. You guys remember that? Right. They're, they're probably going to say no, but you know what you're doing? Wives, fiancés, you know what you're doing? You're letting your husband know, hey, I know you carry a burden in our family. I know that you carry the burden financially and physically and, and providing for our family. I know that you have a weight on your shoulder. Is there anything that I can do to help? Because I want you to know that I'm here for you. I want to help you to take and to lead our family to go further, faster, spiritually, emotionally, financially. Is there anything that I can do to help you? Now, husbands, we're not off the hook. <laughs> This, this question terrifies us. It, it does. Probably maybe husbands more than anybody else. Because we're, we're looked to a lot of times as the leader in the home or the provider in the home. And, and so we're afraid. We're afraid that someone's actually going to have the answer to the question, is there anything I can do to help? But, but here's the thing, husbands. Your wives, so many times, they're afraid to ask for your help. Because before they even open up their mouth, they're already feeling the resistance. They're already feeling the pushback. And so when you ask this question, hey, is there anything that I can do to help? Hey, hon, I'm, I'm headed home from work. Is there anything that I can do to help? Hey, before I leave for work today, is there anything I can do to help? I want, to know, I want you to know you don't always have to lean in. I'm willing to give of myself to help you. Is there anything that I can do to help? And so when we begin to ask this question, Paul tells us that it'll transform and change the dynamic in our families. And so the barrier to this question is just simply this, what I just mentioned now, it's fear. We're afraid. We're afraid that when we ask the question that mom, dad, spouse, someone's gonna have the answer and you're going to have to go out and mow the lawn or wash the car or paint the room or do whatever it is that we, you have to do, right? Your wife's not even going to answer. She's just going to walk over to the closet and open the closet. And there's going to be Ikea furniture boxes that are stacked there because they've been there for six months. And if you say, is there anything I can do to help? She's just going to walk over there, open the closet, and you're like, ugh, because you know there's going to be pieces that are missing, and the directions are probably in Dutch or French. But that's just what you do, right? Because, church, you, you want to understand, and I'm being humorous, but I'm being serious too. Do you want to know what makes for a great family? You don't want to know what makes for an incredible family? 
is a group of individuals who say, I'm not just here for me. I'm here for all of us. The thing that transforms and changes that makes an incredible family is when you're willing to say, hey, I'm willing to leverage all of me for everybody else. And you know why we won't ask this question, answer this question or ask it? It's because we're selfish. And what that means is simply this, that I'm not willing to give all of myself for everybody else. I'm not willing to give all of me for everyone else in this family. And you know why, husbands, that you're not happy with your family? Because being happy with your family isn't controlling everybody, isn't getting everybody to do what you want them to do. That's not happiness. Happiness is when you're willing to say, hey, I'm willing to give all of me for everyone else. And then we wonder, husbands, this is me included, because our wives, they lean in and lean in and lean in, and then they fall over, and then we say something dumb like this, what's wrong? What's wrong? And your kids, they lean in and lean in and lean in, because everybody's got to make dad happy, but dads, let me tell you something, you're not happy until you're willing to give all of yourself, like Paul said, all of yourself for everybody else in your family. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because there's a sense in when the, which the father looked down at this big messed up world and Jesus said, Dad, is there anything that I can do to help? And the heavenly father said, you don't want to know. And Jesus is like, no, seriously, Dad, is there anything that I can do to help? And God said, it's, it's going to cost you your life. Jesus says, I'll do that. Jesus, you're going to have to go down there and be number two, not number one. You're going to have to get in line behind everybody else, Jesus. Is that what you want to do? And Jesus says, I'll do that. And Paul says, out of reverence for what Christ has done for you dads, has done for you moms, has done for you wives, husbands, kids, out of reverence for what Christ has done for you, throw open the door and say, I'm willing to give all of myself for all of us. And then the question comes up, okay, Michael, well, if, if everyone's submitting to everybody else, is no one in charge? Is there no one leading? Is everybody, it's like, no, you first. No, you go first. No, you first. No, you. No, you first. No, you first. No, you. You. And then the chicken's cold or the meatloaf's cold and mom's mad and everyone's upset. Is that what you're saying? No one laughed at that. Okay. No. Dads, fathers, husbands. If you feel like God has called you to lead the home, then lead the home the same way, the same way that Jesus led the church. In all of human history, I don't think, and, and I haven't interviewed everybody in all of human history, but in all of human history, I don't think anyone else has ever said, you know what, Jesus can't be the head of the church. He gave his life away. Jesus possibly can't be the head of, there's no way he could be head of the church. Jesus gave his life away. He died on that cross. No one's ever said that. We would say this, the reason that Jesus is head of the church is because he gave his life away. 
The reason that he's head of the church is because he gave his life away. So dads, husbands, if you feel like God has called you to be the spiritual leader, if you feel like he's called you to be the leader of your home, then lead the way that Christ has led the church. Give your life away and watch what happens in your family. Because Paul also writes in Romans chapter five, he says it this way. Listen to these verses, and these won't be up on the screen. If you need the address later, I'll tell you where they're at. But this is what it is. Paul says it this way, that while we were still helpless, helpless, that Christ died for the church just in the right amount of time. Christ died for the church while we still needed help. It wasn't as if God was up there, well, I'll see if I can squeeze you guys in today. Oops, died in your sin. I'm sorry, I was busy. <laughs> when we needed help the most, just right in the amount of time, God, Christ died, what you guys just said, for us while we were still sinners. Not when we had it all together, not when we had it all figured out, not when we had every, all of our ducks in a row. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, you and me. And so Paul says, imagine, imagine what this would look like in family. Husbands, this is what you do. Wives, this is what you do. Children, this is what you do. Parents, this is what it looks like for you. What an amazing, amazing example. What an amazing target to be shooting for in our families. And so I'm going to close with this. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Our altar workers are going to be up here in the front to pray with you and your family or your spouse. Maybe you and your wife need to come up and just pray together. And that's great and that's fine and we'll do that. But I want you to practice this this week. Even if you just do it one time this week, even if you don't mean it, just try it, all right? Your kids are there. Come on, Dad, you can say, what, what, what can I do? What, what can I do to, okay, what can I do to help? Good job, Dad. Yay, good, good job, yeah. Just try it. Just practice it. Just see what, what it does. Because you can sit here and you know what it would do to your soul if your kids or if your spouse asked you that this week. If your grandparents or your whoever, your whole living situation, if someone asked you this question this week, you know what it would do for your soul. You know what it would do inside of you. And so many times we're not willing to ask, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? One last thing. And worship team, if you guys want to come back up. When you want to ask it the least is when you need to ask it most. When you want to ask it the least is when you need to ask it the most. What can I do to help? And can I be transparent just for a moment? Church, there is so many times with Linnell and with my kids that I blow it. I'm not anywhere close to the target. I'm somewhere over there. And I even have the word pastor in front of my name. And there's so many times in my family that I have to sit down and say, hey guys, dad messed up. I shouldn't have said that, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have treated you that way, and I'm sorry. 
I had the wrong attitude, guys. Can you forgive me, please? Because I shouldn't have talked to your mom like that. I shouldn't have talked to you guys like that. I shouldn't have treated you that way. Can you forgive me? And our culture and our society says, hey, it's normal. It's fine. It's fine. But like Joshua, I refuse to give in to the new normal. And what I say is this, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And it's hard and it's difficult and I'm going to mess up sometimes and I'm going to fall way short and I'm going to miss the mark. But I'm never going to stop pulling back and aiming again. And I'm going to keep aiming and I'm going to keep shooting and I'm going to mess it up sometimes. But I'm going to keep shooting for the mark because that's what God has called me to. Over and over, I mean, we could say verse after verse, what does Paul say? I press on towards the goal. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. I'm not giving up. I'm pressing on. I'm not going to give in. What can I do to help? Let me pray for you this morning. And prayer team, can you guys make your way up here this morning? If, if you can slide out and, and come here and just be available after the service. But let me just pray a prayer of blessing over each and every one of you guys this morning before you're dismissed. Will you guys go ahead and stand with me? These men, these women are here and they're available to encourage you to pray with you and your family. We love you, church, and we want you to know that. In every season of your life, when it's difficult, when it's hard, when it's not going the way that you planned it, we want you to know there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's hope. Let's pray together. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for preserving these words for thousands and thousands of years for us. God, thank you that you've shown us what it means to be a Christian family, what it means to be followers of Christ inside of our family. And God, I pray, I pray for every person who's here this morning, whether their family is going great or their family is hanging on by a thread. God, I pray that you would encourage them and you would remind them, it's not too late. It's not too late that there's hope, that there's mercy, that there's grace, that there's forgiveness, that there's love. God, I pray for every husband who's in here this morning. God, for every wife, for every child, for every parent, that you would give them the grace that they need and the wisdom that they need to know what to do next. And then, God, give them the courage to follow through with who you're calling us to be and how you're calling us to live. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.